Welcome to Hope Assembly of God Online. We believe no matter the journey, there is always hope. This is a recording of our live Sunday sermon, unedited, uncut, real. I love when my teams win. I want to thank my father, well, I want to thank my heavenly father, but also my father that's now in heaven uh, for raising us Steeler fans. Because we grew up halfway between Cleveland and Pittsburgh, and it very well could have gone the other way, and we could have been Browns fans. But by God, the Heavenly Father's divine providence, my father was born in western Pennsylvania, so even though we lived in Ohio, we became Steeler fans. I I tremble to think where I would be if I had grown up a Browns fan. probably angry and bitter and unhappy. Uh, But thank God I'm a Steeler fan, and uh, we've had a lot of success through the years. I grew up a Pirate fan. I don't follow them much anymore because you can't see them. I can't see them play, and I I couldn't name a couple players. But I can still recite the 1979 World Series starting lineup for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, Can't remember where my keys are. Can't remember if I drove my car to the church or not, but the 79 Pittsburgh Pirates, I can remember that starting lineup. So sports has always been a big part of of my life, and I love when my team wins. And on the other side of it, I hate when my team loses. And there are some highlights that are more like lowlights in my life that I can't even watch. If I'm watching a sports documentary or something on it, now these are my own personal hurts. And I'm sure all of you have your, your own personal hurts as it relates to sports, or some of you not, okay? But it is what it is. They kicked you out, didn't they, Vi? Hey, Vi, they kicked you out of children's ministry, didn't they? I told you you were too old. I told you. Jeez. She keeps trying. She keeps trying to get out. They kicked you out. I know it. Anyway, so these are some of my highlights that I cannot watch. And these aren't in chronological order. They're just as they came to my mind as I was preparing. Number one was the Pittsburgh Pirates in 1992. It was the year that we had Barry Bonds and Bobby Bonilla. It was a very strong and very good team. And it was probably the last year I had lived, I obviously lived in Jersey at that point, but we were able to see them because they were good. And they were playing the Atlanta Braves, who I still hate, uh, to this day, um, and Sid Bream, Sid Bream, who ran like he was carrying a piano, was on second base. Now, I'd love Sid Bream. He went to Liberty University. You didn't go to school with him, did you? No. You're not that old, are you? No, okay, I'm just checking. Uh, but he went to Liberty University and a good Christian man until he went to the Braves and then, and then he played for the Pirates, and he was a big, you know, uh, fan favorite. Well, he's on second base. One of the Braves hits a base hit, and time stands still. Is Sid Bream going to make it home and win this game? Well, he did. He dropped the piano about halfway around third base, slid in, and he won. I honestly still cannot watch that highlight on TV because that upset me so much. And that was the last year the Pirates were any good. 
So that's one of the low lights I just can't watch because I hate when my team loses. Another low light, I grew up being a Celtics fan because of John Havlicek being from Ohio, playing at Ohio State. And so we would watch them. And, and uh, in 1987, uh, the Celtics were playing the Lakers, which was a huge rivalry in the 80s. And Magic Johnson hit a little baby hook in the lane to beat the Celtics. I still cannot watch that. It's hurtful. Uh, another hurtful moment, when I moved to New Jersey, I lived up north and I had a choice to either follow the Mets or the Yankees because those are the teams I could see on TV. Once again, by God's grace and providence, I chose the Yankees. And so I followed the Yankees and boy, they had some great teams through the years. Uh, and so the team with, with uh, Jeter and... Posada and Paul O'Neill. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. I'll get to the point. It'll be okay. Um, and Mariano Rivera, who's the greatest reliever ever in the history of baseball. They're playing the Arizona Diamondbacks, who I still hate to this day, because I don't like teams. They build it to win it and then sell everybody. And that's all Arizona was going to do, flash in the pan, lost in history. Don't you know the bases were loaded? And I know, sorry, Nick. Mariano's pitching. We think we got to win this. This is, you know, dynasty stuff here. And some guy, whoever, hits a little blooper. Um, I think it was Doug texted me because I know Wendy didn't know his name or the situation. So Doug uh, texted me. It was a little bloop over a second baseman's head, but the, but the guy that hit it would swear it was a line drive. So if you're a baseball fan, you I can't watch that highlight either. I hate that. Then this is true, and I'm not picking on Phillies fans. I was literally rooting for the Phillies uh, in this, and this is going to hurt some of you, and I apologize. It was 1993 when Mitch Williams was the closer. And Mitch Williams, when they would bring him into the game, they would play what song? wild thing and the place would go crazy and he how he threw it was just crazy never knew it was going to happen and this guy for the Toronto Blue Jays whose name was Joe Carter. Joe Carter hit a home run and won the World Series I can't watch that highlight either okay why because I I hate when my team loses here's the good news and here's where I'll bring everybody back around while some of you are saying why is he talking about sports well that's what I know uh, there's a team that we're on that never loses. And it's not because we're on the team. It's because of God. Can we all agree on that? God's team, you have to get this, not just in saying, but in living. God's team always wins. And God's team wins because of God not because you're a good player. Okay, so I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, you're, you're a terrible player. Go ahead, tell them, you're a terrible player. But, all right, some of you are enjoying this a little too much. But the team's, the team's victory is not based on the players. It's based on God. Isn't that good news? We, as we play this game of life, we, we run around the bases the wrong direction. We drop the ball right when it's in our 
hands. We pick up the fumble and we run in the wrong direction and think we've scored a touchdown. Okay, that's the kind of players that we are. But the good news is the victory is not dependent upon us. It's dependent upon God. And our responsibility is to stay on the team. And if you stay on the team, you're guaranteed victory. If you quit the team because you get frustrated, because you don't like the way things are going, uh, because you think you could do a better job than God, because you feel that God left, let you down, if you quit the team, you lose. But if you stay on the team and let God win the victory, you win, not just in life, but for all eternity. That's the second promise. The second promise is that God always wins. That's a good promise. He never loses, ever. Even when it seems like things aren't going God's way, he's still winning because we just can't see all that he's doing. We can look at our world and see the turmoil and think that maybe God's, God's not losing. God's not worried. God's working everything according to his will and to his power. God's not afraid of any human being. God's not afraid of the devil. God's not afraid of the principalities of darkness that Ephesians 10 talks about. There's a misunderstanding as it relates to the devil and to God as if they're on equal par. And that there's a battle raging and we're not sure who's going to win. God is here and Satan can't even be seen. There is no doubt who is going to win the victory. God is going to win the victory. I just want to be on his team. That's all. That's all. He will reign. All glory, all dominion, all power will be his forever and ever. And that's good news. It doesn't mean that we're not in a battle now because we are. You're in a battle now. I used to think that we'd have good things happening and then bad things happening. But now I realize, no, we have good things happening while bad things happen. It, it's all happening all at the same time, like, like railroad tracks. It's, it's not, this is a great season and everything's going well. No, it's, we have battles now and we have victories now. It, it, it just goes hand in hand. One doesn't end and one, it's just this battle that we face in this world and in this life. But if you get nothing else from today, which I hope you get more, but if you get nothing else from today, is just stay on the team. Just stay on the team. And what happens is, is rarely do people just quit the team one day. What happens is over a period of time, they drift further and further away from the team until they're not even playing on the team anymore. They're playing on the other team. Rarely does a born-again, spirit-filled Christian that's committed to serving God, attends church, involved in ministry, has godly fellowship, rarely does a person wake up the next day and say, oh, I don't want to serve God anymore. Something happens along the way. And they look up and they say, well, what happened? And they're not serving God any longer. Stay on the team. Don't jump off because you could lose all eternity by jumping off and quitting the team. I read a quote that has 
impacted me in many ways. And it says this, all roads lead to the judgment seat of Christ. Think about that. Whether it's false religion or false teaching or my own path or my own thing, all roads lead to the judgment seat of Christ and we will all stand before God someday. And we will all give an account for our lives. I wasn't going to touch on this. I didn't in the, in the online service. But we're going to have to give an account. And I'll just say this briefly. Whatever excuse you offer for not serving the Lord is going to be lame in the presence of Almighty God. That person that you look to that let you down, that's going to be a lame excuse. That church that didn't meet your expectations, it's going to be the lame, the lame excuse. The pastor that didn't preach the way you wanted or call when you thought he should or visit when you thought he should or whatever. It's all going to be lame in the presence of God Almighty because we're going to have to give an account. Here's the account I want to give on that day. I've accepted Christ and he's welcomed me into his kingdom and on his team. And that's why I'm here. That's, and I, I, I just want to stay on. All right. So we saw at the beginning of the month uh, this battle. Remember when I preached on uh, uh, the armor of God? You don't have to say yes or no. It's okay. I, I get it. Preached on the armor of God for back to school day. And we gave out the little things and all that. Our struggle in this battle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. These rulers and authorities are powerful and they're deadly, and they seek to steal, kill, and destroy. But never forget, they are under the subjection and dominion of God Almighty, and they are not victorious. They will lose. I want to walk you through briefly uh, today, the, um, the, the, uh, the war that Satan started. The war that Satan started. Satan, also known as Lucifer, was, a, was an angel. You know that, right? In Isaiah 14, 12, you can all hear me, okay? I'm fine. It's just my voice is, I apologize to the sound guy his first day because I, it's up and down, but I'll try to keep about this level so I can get through it. Isaiah, uh, no, thanks. Isaiah 14, 12 says this, How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. Ezekiel 28, 12. You who were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect and beauty. That's describing Satan. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. But what brought the downfall of Satan was pride. And here's where pride was shown. He wanted to be worshipped like God. Okay? Watch what it says. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly on the utmost heights. I will ascend above the top of the clouds and I will make myself like the Most High. God didn't start the battle. 
God will finish the battle. But Satan started the battle. And here's what was at the root of it. Ezekiel 28. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. Pride caused the fall in Satan's life. What caused the fall in Adam and Eve's life? Pride. Satan said, you will be like God if you eat this. That's why God doesn't want you to eat that fruit. The same thing that caused him, to, Satan, to fall is what brought the fall of man and what keeps us from serving God, what keeps, us, what keeps people from accepting Christ as a Savior is pride. The battle in our lives often comes down to the root of pride. That we want things the way we want it, when we want it. We want to be in control. We want to control other people. We think things should go a certain way and so on and so forth. Even in our relationship to God, it boils down to pride. Because of that pride, Satan was cast out of heaven. So I threw you to earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings, Ezekiel 28. And in Revelation 12, 9, the great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray, he was hurried to earth. He was cast down. And since that casting down, whenever that happened, I don't know at what point in history it happened. I don't know how Satan was in the Garden of Eden and when he was created and at what point. I don't know any of that. And I don't know that anybody knows that clearly. Uh, the point of it is, is that he fell from heaven and that he led others astray and that he's still in a battle against God's people. We can all agree on that, right? So the Lord said to him, where have you come from? Satan answered from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth. Satan is not in hell. He's roaming about the earth. Okay? Your enemy, the devil, 1 Peter 5, 8, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's what he's doing. The enemy, Satan, has many names, and his names reveal his schemes and his character. He's the accuser of the brethren. None of these names are good. He's the destroyer. He's the evil one. He's the father of lies. That's what Jesus called him, the father of lies. And so when we listen to the voice of the enemy, we're listening to lies. Now, Satan doesn't come into our mind and say, hey, I'm the devil. Listen to me. What he says is, why do you think God's allowing this to happen in your life? He'll say things like, you know, if you were really in tune with God, then these things wouldn't be happening to you. He says things like, you know, things have changed now. And what used to be important really isn't that important anymore. And the, the values and morals of previous generations, it's kind of outdated now. We live in the 21st century. His subtlety, subtlety, lies, lies. He's the God of this age. That's the bad news. The good news is he's not the God of the age to come, right? 
He's the prince of this world. But he ain't, oh, I said ain't, sorry. He ain't the prince of peace. He's the ruler of the kingdom of the air. He's the tempter. I found this interesting, that the word devil in the original language is diabolos. And I only use that because we know that term, diablo. Uh, and what it literally means is splitter or divider. Isn't that interesting? That that's what the devil wants to do. That's what he did in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve had perfect communion with God their Father until pride came in. And what happened? They were separated from God. But that's enough about Satan. We have a Savior that came to defeat the works of the enemy. And that defeated the works of the enemy and will someday crush him under his foot. That's the good news. Genesis chapter 3 talks about that moment. After the sin and after the fall, what does it say? That there will be a seed of a woman... And he will crush the head of the serpent. And the serpent will bruise his heel. That's talking about the cross. That's talking about when Jesus would die. Yes, the serpent would cause the Savior pain. But it was at that moment of the cross, Jesus' death and resurrection, that Satan would be defeated. See, Satan isn't the star of the story. His defeat was prophesied in the garden. His defeat was secured on the cross. And his Defeat will be complete at the second coming of our Lord Jesus. But while we're waiting, while we're fighting for this battle, so look, we know that God's going to win the victory. We know that we're still in a battle. We're kind of waiting for the culmination of everything. How then do we live? What do we do that will help us fight the battle, help us stay on the team? There are four things. Number one, put on the full armor of God. That's number one. I'm not going to preach all that. Go back September 4th. You can listen to that. I spent a good deal of time on that. Number two, pray in the Spirit. That's also in Ephesians chapter 6, 18. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Pray in the Spirit. Stay alert. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Don't give up. Don't give up. Pray in the Spirit at all times and in all occasions. James puts it perfectly. When you're going through a difficult time, pray. When things are going well, praise. Puts it all together, which leads us to our third P. Praise. I love this part. We are to do what Satan refused to do in order to defeat Satan. Right? We are to do what Satan refused to do in order to defeat Satan. I love that. Satan refused to worship God. He refused to submit to the authority of God. When we worship the Lord, and worship encompasses not just singing, but it can involve scripture, and it can involve serving others. It can involve just our whole lifestyle of wanting to live for God. When we praise him, even in the midst of battle, see, when there's... As I talked about, there's bad things and good things going on. Put your focus towards the good things and give him praise. And as you're thinking about the difficult things, pray. 
See how that works? It's really that practical. This Christian life is, is hard, but we have the power of the Holy Spirit and we have weapons that will win over the enemy. And praise and prayer are two of those big weapons. Let me put it like this. Why is it so hard for us to have a consistent prayer life? Because the enemy knows how important prayer is. Why is it so important to have a, a consistent reading of the scriptures? Because the enemy knows how important it is. And our flesh wars against the things of the spirit. But to me it just shows how important those things are. Prayer, praise. So we have put on the full armor of God. We have pray in the spirit. Praise. Psalm 95, 6 and 7. Come let us worship and bow down. Don't you love that? That's what the enemy didn't want to do. <laughs> let us kneel before the Lord our maker for he is our God. We are the people uh, he watches over. The flock under his care. See, the people aren't the emphasis. He is. The flock isn't the emphasis. God is. If only you would listen to his voice. And the fourth P is practice humility. Practice humility. Again, these are the very opposite things of what Satan wants you to do. James 4, 6, and 7 says this, and he gives grace generously, to which we can all say amen. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Watch verse 7. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Practice humility. Here's how humility plays out in real life. I don't understand what's going on, but I know God is in control. I don't know what's going on, but I know God knows. And that's all I need to know. Gently, the issue with having to control everything is a pride issue. And cut through all the baloney and just get right down to it. The issue of having to control everything is because you want to be God. And you're not. And that's why there's this battle and frustration and doubt and fear and confusion and broken relationships because of control. You don't have to be in control of everything because God is in control of everything and you're not God. Maybe we should say that. I'm not God. Let's say that together. I'm not God. But God knows and God cares. <clears throat> That's humility. Humility says, I don't play this game well. I run the wrong way, I drop the ball. But I trust in God. I trust in him. That's humility. That we trust in him more than we trust in ourselves. This plays out in decisions that we need to make. This is a little tricky, and it's, it, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say in a couple minutes what would take me longer to explain in detail. 
But sometimes people have difficulty making decisions because they're so afraid of, we'll call it, pull, pulling the trigger on that decision. But at some point, you have to make a decision. And I don't know if this is for anybody today, but it might be. At some point, you have to make a decision and you have to trust that God is leading you. Some of, some of you, and I believe, I don't know who, but some of you are so paralyzed by your fear of making a decision that your whole life has ground to a halt. And God has more and better things for you. Sorry, but I have to cut right to it. You're just not trusting him enough and you're relying on yourself too much. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And here's how it works. God, I want what you want. You're my shepherd and I humbly submit to your leadership. And then you gotta make a decision. If it's not sin, I mean, if it's sin, then don't do that. Call 1-800, call the pastor, and I will tell you, don't do that. But the decisions that are paralyzing you aren't about sin. It's just you're afraid. Make the decision and trust that your shepherd is leading you. And here's how I know it, because I'm old enough now that I look back and realize, you know what? I thought I was in control, but God's been in control all along. Make sure this is right. And he'll take care of this. That's all. Because God's got good things in store for you and you're missing it. That's all I have to say about that. And I don't want you to miss that. But he's not going to force your decision. He's not going to make it for you. I've been praying, I've been praying. How long? You got to make a decision. Just make the decision. Okay? All right. All right. We live in the light of Jesus' total defeat of Satan on the cross. Colossians 2.15, I love this. Having disarmed the powers and authorities. Remember our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the power. Having disarmed those powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them over the cross. Hallelujah. We live in the light of Christ's victory. Satan even knows that he's been defeated. And I'll explain this as I close in a minute. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? That's why Jesus came, to destroy the devil's works, to give us a glimpse of what his kingdom will ultimately be like. And God will keep his promise to give us ultimate victory over Satan. And here's our theme verse. The God who brings peace will soon defeat Satan and give you power over him. Stay on the team. Put on the full armor of God. Pray in the spirit. Praise him in the good times and in the difficult times. Practice humility before God and before others, and the enemy will flee. Jesus has defeated, and he's disarmed Satan. So why do we still face these battles? Watch. The Bible says that 
Satan is like a roaring lion. I didn't investigate this soon enough, but I think grammatically, and English majors can help me, the idea of like a roaring lion is a simile, okay? Doesn't mean that he is a lion. It means he appears like a lion, okay? But because of the cross, he's now, watch, a toothless lion because he can't destroy you because Jesus has destroyed him. And so all he has now is his roar. And the roar can't destroy anyone. But what it can destroy is your peace. What it can destroy is your confidence. What it can destroy is, is your, your, uh, your hope. But I want to remind you, because God has won the victory, it's only a roar. And there's no power in that roar. But there's another lion. There's another lion that Revelation talks about. And he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And his name is Jesus. And he was prophesied in the beginning. He died on the cross to win victory. And he's coming again as king of kings and lord of lords. And all of his enemies will be made a footstool. And someday he will crush the enemy. And we live in light of that truth in victory. Not because we're good, but because he's good. What a great promise. Number two, unshakable hope. God will win the victory. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Hope Online Podcast. For more information about Hope Assembly of God, go to www.godgivesyouhope.com or download our app in the App Store.